While this is the first time in our lifetimes that we've been ordered to stay in our homes, it isn't the first time that Christians have sought to share the gospel while locked down in their homes from disease or locked up in prisons due to persecution. And you sit and question whether or not you can share the gospel while you're quote-unquote sheltering in place. I remind you once again of the Apostle Paul who seized the opportunity while he was shackled in place. So much so that he was able to evangelize his visiting guests, the Praetorian Guard, and even members of the household of Caesar. Take a moment and read the book of Acts. Survey the history of the church. And you will find time and again, Christians have faced every kind of obstacle. And their determination to evangelize despite the obstacles has always resulted in expansion of the gospel. And people ask, why? And the answer is that unbelievers have never been more willing both to listen and consider the gospel in their lifetimes than during times of emergency and crisis. Now we need to be clear that in any presentation of the gospel, several areas must be discussed. First, the core of the gospel must be discussed. That is, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. The need of the gospel must be discussed. That is, all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. Death is eternal separation from God and torment in hell and the lake of fire. The person of the gospel needs to be discussed. That is Christ, God in the flesh, the sinless sacrifice who was offered on the cross to pay the penalty of mankind's sin. The appropriation of the gospel must be discussed. That is repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And the fruit of the gospel must be discussed. That is submission to the Lordship of Christ. Now, understanding the gospel is one thing, but how do we actually present the gospel? What strategy is there for us to present the gospel? And I believe that scripture provides us with a biblical strategy for presenting the gospel in a pandemic or at any other time for that matter. And we find it in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So let's turn over in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. And let's consider verses 2 through 6. And there's three strategies that we need to adopt as we go out and fulfill our Great Commission responsibility. As we engage people with the message of the gospel. Let's begin with strategy number one, and that is pray vigilantly. Pray vigilantly. Verse 2 of Colossians 4 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Strategy one, we need to pray vigilantly. To devote oneself to prayer means that we need to be persistent and unwilling to give up, even though our prayers may seem to go unanswered. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says that the early disciples, while they were sheltering in place in the upper room prior to the day of Pentecost, it says these all with one mind were continually, what? Devoting themselves to prayer. After the day of Pentecost, 
In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we read that the early church was continually what? Devoting themselves to prayer. Later, the apostle declared in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, but we will what? Devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul says that we should be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. Are you devoted to praying? That's what it means to pray vigilantly. Friends, if the gospel is going to go forth in a pandemic or at any other time, the people of God must be devoted to prayer. Notice that the idea of vigilance is conveyed in the next term, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert, keeping alert, literally staying watchful. It has the idea of a mental, perceptional attitude. There's a moral readiness. There's a mental alertness. Now, what does that mean for you and me? That means that we need to know the circumstances of our life. We need to be aware of the circumstances of life, particularly those which affect the spread of the gospel, and pray that God might remove any and all barriers that would hinder it. Now, you're all familiar with the circumstances that we're currently facing, but I ask, are you praying that the gospel would still go forth freely, even in the midst of the circumstances of this pandemic? Or is it easier just to sit back and mumble and grumble and talk about what we can't do, what we'd like to do, what we wish we could do? Christian, we need to be praying vigilantly that the gospel might go forth. Now notice here the keeping alert, how it's to be done in thanksgiving. Not praying with mumbling and grumbling, praying with thanksgiving. Thankfulness is the environment of good praying. Thankfulness provides a safeguard for informed praying. You know, Paul's circumstances certainly were discouraging. He was awaiting trial for the gospel. But he endured because he had a proper perspective. Even despite his circumstances, he was thankful and he urged that prayer be offered with an attitude of thanksgiving. Why? Because prayer, vigilant prayer, that sees the obstacles and sees the difficulties, is still thankful because it recognizes that God is more powerful than the obstacles in our path. We can be thankful in our prayer because God has got it. We can be thankful in our prayer because while we can't, God can and therefore we will. Our circumstances do not need to affect our joy, particularly the joy of preaching the gospel. And as to what Paul encouraged us to pray for, again the text tells us that God would open to us a door for the word that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul instructs us to pray for God's kingdom to expand through the spread of the gospel. You know, Paul was always looking for ways to communicate the gospel. And he's asking the Colossian believers to pray for an open door. 
Again, remember, Paul's writing this from prison. Instead of praying, Lord, get me out of here, he prays, Lord, open doors for the word to go forth so that the mystery of Christ can be preached. Now, let me be clear here that praying for the expanse of God's kingdom through the gospel does not mean that we cannot pray for personal needs. In fact, Jesus instructed us to pray for our daily bread. He instructed us to pray for forgiveness of our sins. He instructed us to pray for personal holiness. But as you look at the example there in what's called the Lord's Prayer, the first thing that we're to pray for before we bring our needs to God in prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is God's will? For the gospel to go forth. How will the kingdom come? As the gospel goes forth. You want to see God's kingdom expand? It'll expand through the preaching of the gospel. But the gospel won't go forth without believers praying vigilantly. And that involves praying for the workers. That's those on the front lines, first and foremost, praying for our missionaries, the ones who are engaged in full-time work of spreading the gospel. It also includes all believers, that we'd all would keep our focus on lost souls, that we'd not get so distracted with all the worldly stuff that tends to clog our eternal perspective. Get your church directory out and pray for every person in it to be an effective witness in his or her circle of friends. Praying vigilantly for God's kingdom to expand involves praying for open doors. Listen, Paul can't open doors for the gospel. You can't open doors for the gospel. I can't open doors for the gospel. Paul didn't rely on clever methods or manipulations to get an opening. You and I can't rely on clever methods or manipulation to get an opening. You know who he relied on to open the doors for the gospel? That was God. That was God. He didn't need no press conferences. He didn't need no uh, gatherings of people protesting. No. He prayed. That's what he did. Notice Acts 14, 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he, that's God, opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It doesn't say Paul opened the door. It doesn't say Paul got all the churches together and they opened the door. God opened the door. Acts 16, 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Who opened her heart? The Lord. You mean it wasn't Paul's slick presentation? No. It wasn't his winsome attitude? No. It was the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, A wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Again, it was opened for him by someone else, and that is the Lord. 2 Corinthians 2.12, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. God must open the door for witness, and when he does, we need to walk through it. And when God opens the door and we share the gospel, souls will be saved and hearts will be transformed. 
And I challenge you to pray for yourselves and pray for others in this church that God would open those doors of the gospel. And listen, he can open doors even when you're stuck indoors. Notice also that praying vigilantly for God's kingdom to expand involves praying for clarity in presenting the gospel. Again, back in chapter 4 and verses 2 through 4, he says, he prays that God will open up a door so they can speak the mystery of Christ. And what? That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, Paul calls the gospel here the mystery of Christ. He doesn't mean that the gospel is mysterious. He doesn't mean that it's difficult to understand. Instead, the word mystery there, basic definition means an open sacred secret. It refers to a truth previously unknown, but now has been revealed. In other words, the gospel cannot be known by human wisdom, only by God revealing it. It's especially referring to the truth that salvation, that previously had only been revealed to the Jews, was now available also to the Gentiles, and that now both can enjoy right standing and equal access to God through faith in Christ. Colossians 1 verse 26 and 27 says, that the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now when we talk about the good news of the gospel, we need to remember that the good news starts with bad news. See, it's only good news if you got some bad news. And the bad news is our sins have separated from God. He's holy. He's just. God cannot brush away our sins. That penalty for sin has to be paid. And the penalty for our sins is eternal separation from Him in the lake of fire. And there's no amount of good works that can pay that penalty. But friend, what you and I cannot do, God did do. In love, He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ fully God and fully man, lived in perfect obedience to the Father, and His death on the cross was substitutionary. He paid the debt that sin deserves. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve. And God raised Him up from the dead. And God now offers to you and I full pardon and eternal life when we repent and turn from our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ the Lord to save us. That's the mystery of Christ. But I ask, are you praying vigilantly? Are you praying that God would open a door? Are you praying with an awareness of what's going on around you? Are you praying with an attitude of thanksgiving that, hey, listen, while, while the enemy might be out there trying to prevent the spread of the gospel, God is more powerful and the gospel is going to go forth despite the enemy. Are you praying for that open door? Are you praying that when the door opens and we get to present the gospel, that we present it clearly? Our second strategy is found in verse 5. Strategy 2 for presenting the gospel in a pandemic or any other time is to walk wisely. Walk wisely. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. You know, having discussed a door of opportunity in ministry, Paul turns his thoughts to wise conduct. Literally, the verb here 
Conduct means be wise in the way you act. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, Paul said, he was praying actually, he said that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, when the Greek text says, walk in wisdom, that was what Paul was praying for, that we would be filled with wisdom. And then we're told to walk in wisdom or conduct ourselves with wisdom. The implication is this, that as you go about, as I go about, as we go about living our lives in a pagan world, we need wisdom so that our encounters with unbelievers will be fruitful. And I've got to tell you, some of what I've seen and heard in the last several weeks amongst professing quote-unquote believers and preachers is anything less than conducting themselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Folks, the outside world is watching us. Whether you understand that, whether you agree with me or not, the fact is, it is being done. They are watching. And what are they seeing? Are they seeing the church acting like they deserve preferential treatment? Are they, are, are they seeing believers act like, well, we can do what we want? What are they seeing? What they should be seeing is churches and Christians praying for those in authority. What they ought to be seeing is us being obedient. But when they see churches and believers thumb their nose at the authorities' laws, orders, or what have you, it hinders our ability to witness. Certainly we want to reopen. Certainly we look forward to the day in which we can gather together and worship. But friends... We can't rush into that at the expense, one, of our testimony, and two, at the health and welfare of those with whom we worship with. Just this past week, a church in Georgia had to reshut its doors, only, only reopened for two weeks and had to shut its door because 35 people had contracted the coronavirus from being in church. That's one example. But that caught headlines. And the world sees that and says, ah, look at them Christians. They think they're so special. They think they're so different. They think they can just do things like they used to do. And right away, it puts a target. So that when we come along and want to preach the good news, we want to preach the gospel... Well, they don't have an ear to hear because all they see is, oh, look at them radicals. Listen, Christianity is radical. But it ought to be radical because we're living a life of holiness, not a life of ridiculousness. And again, I certainly desire to be back together with all of you. But right now, it's far better to be apart. You know, one of the things we're supposed to do is care for the sick. What the best way to care for the sick right now is what? Social distancing. And so we need to guard our witness. And we need to be wise. 
Not out there trying to get on the news. Not out there say, oh, look at us. Listen, if the state came down and said, you've got to lock your doors, everybody else can open up, you lock your doors, you can't preach no more, take all your sermons offline, etc., 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 play it out, we got a whole different issue then. That's not what's happened. Well, we, we ought to be open now. Okay. You know what? I'm sure people listening right now, have all every one of you has an opinion. Some of you may think we ought to be open now. Some of you would rather wait. Some of you aren't sure you're ready to come back. And you know what? I can respect all of those opinions. But at the end of the day, we have to walk with wisdom. And wisdom involves listening to those who know better than we in, respond, in responding to this health crisis. The outsiders are watching. Now, you know, folks, within our fellowship of, of, of the church, let's, let's be honest, we all sin, okay? We all make mistakes. We don't always act wisely. But at least within the body of Christ, I would hope and pray that we would make allowances, okay? I'm not saying we brush sin under the carpet or anything of that nature. But what I'm saying is, you know, we, we, we say, hey, but by the grace of God, there go us. He who's been forgiven much needs to forgive much. But when it comes to the unbelievers, our behavior has got to be above reproach. Do you understand that the best method of evangelism is lifestyle evangelism? That your life, the way in which you live, proclaims Christ to the world even when your mouth isn't running? What are they saying? What are they seeing? You know, in the days of the early church, believers were often slandered by outsiders. And believe me, we can't stop all the slander. But we certainly shouldn't be part and party to it. While the early church was often slandered by the outside world, the apostle knew that the best way to defeat that slander was for Christians to conduct themselves virtuously, not wickedly, and wisely, not foolishly. Spiritual wisdom enables us to determine just how, in particular situations, our biblical values should be put into effect. And notice he says here to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders and what? Make the most of the opportunity. Making the most of the opportunity means to buy up the entire stock of the opportunity. We're to make the most of all the opportunities that God gives to us. This is what Paul says, when he, or what he means rather, when he says redeem the time. Make your time your own property. Be diligent with how you use it. You know, Christ is drawing the world and its powers to his judgment seat when there's going to be no more time to evangelize and, and preach the gospel. There's coming a time when the days of mercy will be over and longed for, not yet will they become a reality. And Paul uses the same phrase, redeeming the time, and says, why? Because the days are evil. 
Everything right now needs to be done for the glory of God in the light of eternity, remembering that we live in a fallen universe. We can't afford to put off until tomorrow what we ought to be doing today because procrastination is the thief of time. We need to make the best use of our time. We need to make the time our own property. But that's impossible unless we're filled with the Spirit. There is a need for the household of God to redeem the time lost. You know, I can't turn back the clock. Yesterday is gone, but today and tomorrow are still ours. Time has been lost by procrastination, pleasure, laziness, and disobedience. We need to put all of those things aside and make the most of what time we have left. That brings me to the fact that not only we need to redeem the time lost, we need to redeem the time left. Remember when Christ said in John 9, 4, the night is coming when no one can work? You know, we're not, we need to be reminded that our days are numbered and our time is short. I don't know how much time I've left here on earth. I don't know how long the door will be open still. And so I need to take the opportunities when I can. We need to redeem the time lost, the time left, and we need to redeem the time on loan. You know, how many opportunities have we all missed? How many times have we failed to act when opportunity came? And then it was too late and the door was shut. Time is loaned to us, my friends. And as stewards of Christ, we must use it wisely. We must grasp it fully with zeal while we still have strength and opportunity. So I ask you, are you praying vigorously? Are you walking wisely? That's our first two strategies in, in spreading or proclaiming the gospel in a pandemic or any other time. Now let's talk about our third strategy. And that third strategy is to speak gracefully. Speak gracefully. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You know, in the give and take of life, the content of the spoken word and the method of how it's spoken matters. And I know some people struggle with that. You know, I can make a statement and you can take it any number of different ways depending on what? The tone in which I said it. For example, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Right there, same words, but the tone of my voice was different, indicating three different particular moods. How you say things is just as important as what you are saying. People are going to be more inclined to read our actions rather than the Bible. But on that occasion when they hear our words... Our words need to be gracious and seasoned with salt so that what comes out of our mouth doesn't end up causing us to be slandered, but rather advances the kingdom of Christ. Now what is speech that is with grace? Well, that's speech that is gracious, and that is speech that is kind and courteous. We are to let God's grace teach us how to handle others. We're to allow God's grace to emanate out of our lips. 
And notice Paul's use of the word always. Let your speech always be with grace. It alerts us to the need that we're supposed to be graceful. Grace is supposed to be dripping from our lips even when we're provoked. And that's a tough one. Be angry and sin not. Okay? Goes hand in hand. You know, Peter said... We need to be prepared to give an answer in uh, 1 Peter 3, 15 16. We need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that we have. But notice, and, and this is where we, have, we, we always stop, but we should go on. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. See, some of us don't have a clear conscience when it comes to how we speak the gospel. Well, I told them what they need to hear. Well, that's fine. We should tell people what they need to hear, but did you do it the right way? Did you say it in a proper way? Did you do it gently and respectfully? You know, for some reason, and I'm seeing this more and more, Christians think they have a license to be arrogant, rude, and even stoop to name-calling. And friends, this has got to stop. When you're out there engaging the world, whether directly or indirectly, and you're running your mouth, you cannot afford to be arrogant or rude or even stoop to name-calling. Well, they did it. I don't care. We have to speak the truth with love and gentleness. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love and grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 says, We're not to be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You see that? We've got to present the truth. We've got to preach the gospel in love. And the word love there implies having a regard for the other person's good. And when we're presenting the truth of God's word, we need to do it in a manner that seeks the good of the one hearing. That means that we need to be spiritually mature. We need to be equipped with sound doctrine. And we need to take that sound doctrine and present it in a warm manner. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what I mean is you cannot approach people with the gospel in a cold or detached manner. Then we're told that we need to preach the gospel with gentleness. Now, what does the word gentleness there mean? It, the word conveys the idea of courtesy and compassion. Gentleness is also not being impressed with one's self-importance. You know, some people ha ha have, a, have a great opinion of themselves, okay? They've got a high opinion of who they are and what they think everybody should think about them. You can't be out there preaching the gospel that way. You can't be out there sharing the gospel as if, you know, you've somehow arrived and you've got all the answers. You might have one answer, but you don't have all the answers, and the idea of correcting them 
means to instruct them, to educate them, to give guidance. We need to do this courteously and compassionately. You know, again, remember, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you may be the one in need of correcting. You may be the one still dead in trespass and sin. And if we engage people with the gospel in a courteous and compassionate manner, the Bible says they are more apt to come to repentance, they're more apt to come to their senses, they're more apt to escape the devil's snare. Friends, the way we speak is important as the words themselves. When we tell others about Christ, we need to be gracious in what we say. No matter how much sense the message makes, you and I will lose our effectiveness in sharing the gospel if we're not courteous. You know, you like to be respected? Well, guess what? You've got to respect the other person if you want them to listen to what you have to say. It's got to be gracious. Paul also says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Now, let's be clear. He's not talking about salty language. Okay? You all know what salty language is. In the Bible, salt had three uses. One, it preserved food. Two, it sterilized food. And three, it seasoned food. And in a sense, that's what the preaching of the gospel needs to do. It preserves. Okay? It preserves you and me. Okay? The gospel has saved us and it preserves us from the ungodliness and wickedness of this world. It sterilizes. The gospel cleanses from sin. And the gospel seasons, or salts rather, seasons. And here's where Paul is using the idea of salt here as a seasoning. In other words, our conversation needs to be acceptable and inoffensive, particularly when sharing the gospel. Our speech needs to be pure and free from corruption. You know, a fountain can't give forth both fresh water and foul water. One or the other. Our presentation of the gospel should stimulate people's taste to want more. When you season your food, okay, it stimulates your taste, but hmm, I want more. Paul says that we must know how to respond to each person. In other words, the presentation of the gospel has to be suited to each person. Now, again, we're not changing the message of the gospel, but certainly I'm not going to evangelize a child in the same manner I'm going to evangelize, you know, uh, somebody sitting on death row. Again, the message of the gospel isn't going to change, but... The circumstances that I'm dealing with there are different. A child's capacity of understanding things versus somebody sitting on death row is very much different. You've got to know your audience. And, you know, when we confront the masses of people, sometimes they're going to take offense. But it should never be because you acted irrationally, or harshly, 
or without wisdom or in an ingracious manner. The only thing they may get offended by is the actual gospel itself because Jesus Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. If they stumble over that, fine. If they stumble over you, shame on you. You know, we need to know when it says, know how you should respond to each person. That means you need to also know how to answer each objector. How many times sound answers offered with a positive spirit can overcome obstacles to the gospel? We need to be gracious. We need to be sensitive to each person and to each situation. How's your speech? Are you speaking graciously when you're speaking the gospel? Or are you angry? Man, you really irritate me. You annoy me. But let me tell you, God loves you anyway. That's obnoxious, okay? Now, I know you all chuckle at hearing that, but the fact of the matter is, how often is that our gospel witness? Speak graciously. Walk wisely. Listen. We need to always be examining not just what we're saying but and how we're saying it, but also what we're doing. You know, before you ever get an opportunity to open your mouth, they've already sized you up by your actions. And then you need to pray vigorously. Folks, we, we, we can try to manipulate and we can find all kinds of, of methods and it's all going to produce nothing if God don't open the door. Pray with me that God would open the door. You know, the gospel serves as the door for anyone to enter the family of faith. And I believe now more than ever we need to intentionally be practicing evangelism outside of our building. You know, I think that's probably one of the, the, the biggest downsides of the church today. All our evangelism is inside the church. Hello? 99% of the people in the church aren't here for evangelism. Now again, don't get me wrong. Believe me, I still think out of that 99%, there's plenty that need to be evangelized. But if your evangelism starts and stops in the pulpit ministry, if your evangelism starts and stops in the worship service, we got big problems. Because the vast majority of the unsaved world isn't in the church. They're outside the building. They're out in the highways and the byways. And we need to be getting into those highways and byways and sharing the gospel. I'll tell you, I believe right now we're going to find more people willing to have conversations as they return to public life. And what better conversation to initiate than one that includes the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some practical ways before we close. Some practical ways that you can share the gospel during COVID-19 and beyond. You can, one, you can post your testimony somewhere. Now, many of you use social media, not everybody. But if you use some form of social media, put your testimony out there. Tell people how you got saved. Tell people you're a Christian, what that means to you. Put something out there. You can do that. You can write it up. You can put it on a video, what have you. Now, those of you not using social media, you can still post your testimony. Write your testimony up and send it to some friend or family member that you haven't shared it with in a while. 
Well, they won't, probably won't read it. Who cares? That's not on you. You put the gospel out there, you leave the results with God. You plant, somebody else water, God give the increase. Text someone a brief gospel presentation. You know, again, majority of people listening have the capability of texting. Not everybody, but again, if you can't text, write a letter, send a postcard, send an email, whatever. But there's multiple ways of putting the message out. Now, one thing you can do is you can now direct people to go on to the church website, www.trinitybiblechurchglassboro.com, and when you get there, you're going to click on the link entitled Three Questions. And that's going to open up a new page where you can listen to a 10-minute presentation of the gospel or you can read the 10-minute presentation of the gospel and it includes all the scriptures and, and so forth. And here's the beautiful thing with that. You know, you can direct people to go there. You can then, when that new page opens, if you're on a computer or a smartphone or whatever, you can even take that page and, and share it to somebody else via text or email or what have you. A great opportunity to, to put out there a 10-minute presentation of the gospel. And when they get to the end of that presentation, okay, they'll be provided with the church website, the church email, the church phone number, if they want to contact us for more information, if they want to have a conversation about salvation. So get that link out there. Uh, some of you have been using FaceTime or Duo, depending on your uh, smartphone. Use those to have a gospel conversation with somebody. Give a gospel track to the person at the pickup window at your local restaurant, your dry cleaner, your local grocery store. Listen, those people right now, man, I'm telling you, they're, they're getting everything thrown at them. There's some ugly people out there saying some ugly things. Man, you need to be a bearer of good tidings and great joy to all people. And you know what? All you have to do is hand them a gospel track. You say, Pastor, I don't have any gospel tracks. Listen, you don't have any gospel tracks, you call the church office, we will get you gospel tracks. Okay, we've got, the tra we've got tracks here. We'll certainly get them out to you and so that as you go out, rare as it may be, you can take that track and you can put it there for somebody else to pick up and read it. Okay? Another thing you can do is invite people to tune in and listen to the messages. Again, I just cannot get over, and I praise God, you know, for the fact that there's over 1,200 listens to these messages. That's, that, that's crazy. It's unbelievable. But folks, that's telling us that the gospel's going forth, okay? Do your part. I'll do my part. Acts 20, verse 24 says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. My friends, right now is not the time to be obsessed over COVID-19 conspiracy theories, political schemes, or any other nonsense distracting us from our calling. Let us be single-minded in our service to Christ. Let us be unwavering in our proclamation of the gospel. Let's do it by praying vigorously, walking wisely, and speaking graciously. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'd help us just to that end, Father. That, Lord, as you challenge us, as you lay it upon our heart to get out there spreading the gospel, sharing the good news to a lost and dying world, that, Father, we do it biblically. That we had adopt a biblical strategy here, Lord. 
that would, in, would involve us first and foremost praying vigorously. Lord, lay it upon our hearts that we need to be a praying people. Not just praying for our wants and our needs, but praying for that open door. You've told us that the fields are white on the harvest, but Father, I pray that you'd show us where that field is. Open that door to us. That door may not be the same for all of us, but wherever that door is for each and every one of us, Father, open those doors so that we can, we can get out into that field and harvest it. Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk wisely. Lord, help us to be people of the book. Not walking like the world walks, not walking like a rebel, not walking like we're owed something, but walking as Christ would walk. That when he was reviled, he reviled not. Lord, help us to be that gracious. Father, speaking of gracious, Lord, help us to speak graciously. That tongue is a little flame of fire in our mouth that does a lot of damage. Lord, help us to tame it by your Spirit so that when we open our mouths and proclaim the gospel, that, that the people might receive it, that engraft word that can save their soul, that they might hear it gently, lovingly, courteously and compassionately that they might be corrected of their error, that they might come to repentance, that they might come to their senses and that they may escape the devil's snare. Help us to these ends, we pray. In your son's matchless and holy name, amen.